Okay, welcome to the OverthinkingIt.com podcast. I don't know. Is the name of the blog Overthinking It or OverthinkingIt.com? I think the name of the blog is Overthinking It. What do you think, Pete Fenzel? I think that if we overthink this, we'll probably come up with something. I, I agree. .com. I, I, I would propose <laughs> that maybe the .com is assumed, you know, and unless like, you know, so if it was like .org, then the .org would be part of its name. But because it's a .com, that kind of goes unsaid. And that's well, what, about, what about fear.com? Fear.com.com. Right. But that's it needs to be said because it's a movie and you, you don't expect the .com <laughs> as a part of a movie title, which is what makes it's such an amazing movie title. Is that the movie about the serial killer who's like killing people on the Internet or something? No, you're thinking yeah, of, the, could, of the, uh, oh. the Diane Lane movie, right? Yes. Yeah. No, fear.com is an earlier, less good movie about a website that it, it was, is... I mean, pretty a shameless ring ripoff, right? Yeah. I mean, like, they tried you, to get the actual website fear.com and they couldn't get it. So for the movie, they had to use fear.com.com, like F E A R D O T C O M.com. Right. Which is like, I mean, what they really should have done point. is just tried to make it in the movie, like, you know, fear.ne for like the Netherlands. And like, that could have been like part of the twist. <laughs> right, that, right. Like, they have to go and like, you know, to the, to the low countries to find the killer. The killers of the low countries are the most dastardly killers of all. <laughs> they are. They can't be trusted. <laughs> we're actually the two. If you type overthinking it into Google, we're the top result for overthinking it on Google. That That's actually a pretty decent cliche or, or not even a cliche, a phrase is that, is to that own. Two words, two words? Sorry? Two words or one? Uh, two words. I don't know about one word. Okay. Let's try. I'm going to try one word. Presumably one word, right? No, not actually. Yeah, no, not... Um, though some of the posts, I guess, okay, post three is, uh, our, our Oscar week, one of our Oscar week things. Uh, but uh, <laughs> wait, this is not what the podcast is about at all. No, it's not about <laughs> us Googling ourselves. Although that actually would be a hilarious for a future podcast. We could all Google ourselves individually and talk about like, we Google our names, how happy we are with that result. <laughs> to, we're actually here tonight to, to talk about a future uh, podcast. Very, I think, I think as we can, we, can we say it's a sad thing? I don't know. Is it sad? I, I think it's sad it's only because I, I I thought that as a as a governor he at least showed promise if not he was you know fantastic um and and now you know I mean he's done he's literally done as of uh, of course I should probably say what it is we're talking about uh, Elliot yes. Spitzer uh, resigned today uh, as governor of New York over as the, as we were yeah as we record this we'll probably not post this until the weekend but but today was the today's Wednesday was the day of the resignation uh. Mm. And uh, Matt Belinky and I, Matt Rather, are sitting in New York, actually, and uh, Pete's in Boston. But you are a former New Yorker yourself, Pete. That's true. And I was uh, very supportive of Mr. Spitzer back when he was attorney general. If I had still been in New York, I would have voted for the man uh, in 2006. Corporate, but well, yeah, crusader against the, corporate so. malfeasance. Yep, and and against uh, you know scandals and conflicts of interests in the financial industry and insurance companies and various you know uh, professionals who find it somewhat easy sometimes to hide their uh, wrongdoings, and uh, I really admired what he did, and now I find myself um, kind of sheepish about my admiration for the man. Well, hold uh, on, you can you can. 
This is the, this is the thing. Like, does it matter that Picasso was an asshole? Not that I. I mean, I don't mean to trivialize Picasso by comparing him to Elliot Spitzer. <laughs> or trivialize assholes by comparing them to Elliot Spitzer. Right, but you know, <laughs> the fact that he was, uh, he was all those things. He was a crusader against corporate malfeasance. Uh, right, like that. That does not. Right. It doesn't diminish the fact that the man had a. You know, apparently a troubled personal life or like made a bad decision or did something, you know, stupid or immoral or whatever. Um, uh, stepping out on his wife or engaging this engaging the services of a uh, of a prostitute like does not make does not mean does not take away those convictions that he got for corporate malfeasance. I mean, I mean, this is the thing that's really been breaking my heart about this. I mean, I keep saying, Elliot, Elliot, like, why couldn't you have had an affair with your maid? Right. Like, why, why couldn't he have just like slept around or been secretly gay or something like that? Like, no, he had a relationship where he was sending tens of thousands of dollars to an organized crime syndicate. Um, you know, and, and that's a direct conflict of interest, conflict of interest. The way Dunn did as attorney general uh, when he was prosecuting rings of, of prostitution alongside his Wall Street stuff. And, and then he's governor. He's supposed to be. The enforcer of the law, the executive branch, and here he is paying off some freaking you know minor internet mob boss, pimp guy, and that that's not cool. That's that's a betrayal not just of his political capital and the trust that people give him, but of of his credentials and his ability to stand up and say you know you criminals should sit down while I go fork over eighty thousand dollars to my pimp um, via PayPal. Right. Uh, so that anyway. this wasn't. I mean that your point, I guess, is that the, it's the the type of the crime is such that uh, is such that it really goes to credibility. It's right, a, and specifically the kind of credibility he did really well professionally. Right. Um, yeah, but you, you know that's not nearly sexy enough to really drive this conversation. <laughs> before before we start before we started talking, you were you were sort of overthinking the irony of the situation, uh, and that it's a um, provision of the Patriot Act that that. Uh, really did him in and, you know, uh, just lay out again how that works. Oh, sure. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not positive that this was the exact provision that it operated under, but the provision provision of the Patriot Act allows for um, financial institutions or or commands financial institutions when they find um, activities on their uh, statements from different clients that are out of the ordinary or suspicious, they are required much more strictly than they used to be to report those activities to the FBI and to various you know, security people. Um, it's supposed to be a way to help them track terrorist um, movements of funds. And so you have the Patriot Act you know, come through and say, okay. And what happened is it was a bank that caught it. It was a bank that caught the fund transfers and contacted the FBI in Long Island. Um, and then they contacted the attorney general's office down in D.C. Um, I don't know whether it was Alberto Gonzalez at the time, but probably that these things take a while. And then they set up a federal wiretap. This wasn't a, you know, a local thing. This just, you know, the Department of Justice was behind this. And if you consider the firing of the prosecutors and the sort of quiet but not quite silent issue of bias in the Department of Justice – and this command that, you know, if you don't go after enough Democrats, we're going to fire you, which is sort of under the surface, but probably there. Then you think, well, you know, they were going after Spitzer. Like the Republicans were going after him. They were using the Patriot to go after him. But he freaking hand himself over on a freaking silver platter. It's right. like, oh, by the way, you know, sleeping with whores and paying off pimps. And like, I mean, they didn't find him, you know, taking soft money from Greenpeace 
you know, like, and they're like, oh, this is a legal contribution. And so that's what they were looking for. They were looking for, for rat or something like that. They were looking for him paying off some contractor. But no, they found him doing old-fashioned crime. Um, and for that, nobody can really defend him. So it's a case of, of you know, whoops. <laughs> yeah, I guess this guy's kind of screwed. Um, anyway, you know, Pete, uh, that's, jump you know, in here. as I've said, it's, it's, it's a sad day. It's a sad day for uh, overthinkingers who are fans of, of Elliot Spitzer and his crusades for justice. You know, I, I wanted to say I, I haven't actually said anything for a while, and it's because I've been hypnotized by the by the MySpace page of uh, Ashley Alexander Dupree, <laughs> who is uh, 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 Kristen, you know, aka Kristen of the the actual. And here, uh, I, girl. here, I thought you weren't saying anything because you wanted to be polite and let Pete say his piece. No, no, I definitely would have jumped in. Had <laughs> no, I no, 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 no. <laughs> You don't know Blake very well. <laughs> right. It's, 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 <laughs> had I been listening, Matt, had I been listening, Matt didn't hear a goddamn thing you said, Pete. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 heard, I heard some of it. I mean, you definitely were I talking, heard that they were words. You mentioned, I heard that they were words. <laughs> you were talking saying. about bowling at one point, right? There was, there was some talk about bowling and, like, whether or not 300 was, like, you know, a realistic goal for most bowlers. Um... Or whether like, this you know, like madness. how respectable two hundred is, is score. Right, exactly. And like and actually whether the three hundred was in fact a movie about bowling. I'm sure that that joke was made on bowling websites uh, at infinium. Um, <laughs> Are you sure? So at infinium doesn't mean anything. Well, I, I it does probably if you I don't know. That's like um, a Tony Soprano esque malaprop. Uh, is malaprop right. a word? I think it's malapropism. So malaprope yeah. is not like the noun version of a malaprope. You know, actually, and I'll have to check this on the internet, but I think there was actually a character named Mrs. Malaprope or Malaprop. Uh... <laughs> is anything yeah, I yeah, say correct like... English? <laughs> no, not not at all, but, you know. Why doesn't somebody tell me when I butcher the Queen's language? We've established that you're not a very good <laughs> listener, though. Maybe they are telling you. Well, I wanted to, if, if I if I might, uh, for a minute, just talk about the MySpace page, which um, I recommend if, if our listeners haven't seen it already, uh, by the time this comes out, they should check it out. I feel like, you know, it just started to get noticed today. The reason I know this is there's a song that plays... Um, when you go on the MySpace page, here play it, play it, play it just a little. Uh... Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just play it through the air for you a little bit. Oh. By the uh, way, that's uh, Richard Brinsley Sheridan's 1775 play, The Rival, which I know you know, Matt, is where Mrs. Malaprop comes from. Oh, okay, there you go. From the Rivals, yeah. You, you had to, I had to read that. You had to read that, right? Back in the day. Oh, that's that's some that's some good funk right there. It sounds like prostitute funk. The song is called uh, "What We Want." Uh, I'm gonna let it play quietly underneath my talking. More on that song later. But the reason I know that this MySpace page is sort of uh, virgin, uh, no pun intended, is that it, <laughs> this song has been played uh, 714,000 times, and the number of plays today, this very day, 697,000 times. <laughs> So, I mean, basically, this MySpace page was scantily visited until today when it's it's blown up for obvious reasons. Actually, though, like, we're looking at it, and I think I loaded the page maybe 10 minutes before you did, and your play count is almost 100,000 plays, or uh, 60,000, 70,000 plays. I think uh, as we speak, this, this MySpace page is blowing up all over the internet. Right. 
So a few things um, I, I want to say about this MySpace page, right? Like, uh, here's from her about section. Ashley Alexandra <laughs> Dupree, not or Dupre, not her real name. Her real name is uh, oh, I had it up a second ago. Um, Ashley, not not Kristen either. Ashley, what? Dumans, I believe. Y O U M A N S. Oh right, yeah, right? yeah, exactly right. Um, so uh, so Ashley Umans Umans uh says. Uh, been here since, meaning New York City, been here since 2004, and I love this city. I love my life, uh, but my path has not been easy. When I was 17, I left home. It was my decision, and I've never looked back. Left my hometown, le- and here she resorts to sentence fragments, and I think it, it you know, manages to convey something about, um, though I, you could say there's an understood subject in these sentences, uh, but, uh, you know, it conveys something about, I guess, her state of mind. The, the fragments are like her fragmented state of mind. Left my hometown. Left a broken family. Ah, her sentences are broken now, as her family was. Left abuse, which is just not funny. Left everything. Right. Uh, oh, left an older brother who had already split, which uh, Matt pointed out mm. earlier seems impossible. Uh, has then, abused then drugs, has split. been broke and homeless. This is again from the MySpace page. But I survived and on my own. But here, here's the part that really interests me. It, uh, here, here, uh, it started when I moved in with a musician. I'm quoting here. started when I moved in with a musician during my odyssey to New York. One day I was in the shower singing Respect. He and his lead guitarist burst in, which, which is a great image right there, by the way. Um, <laughs> had, had me repeat it, and it started. We wrote, rehearsed, and toured. After recording a bit with them, I decided to move to Manhattan to pursue my music career, um, which is a little unclear where they were living before. But the most interesting part of the About Me thing is at the very end, she says, What, what We Want, which is the track that we heard at the, uh, uh, playing on the website, is my latest track. It's really about trust, something my past has made very difficult for me to feel. This one was inspired by a guy who taught me not to confuse my dreams with the sounds of the city. I hope you like it. And, of course, we have no reason to believe that the guy is Elliot Spitzer. Probably not, but for purposes of this podcast, I'm going to believe <laughs> that, the, that this sound, that this music, which I'm, I'm going to turn back up, is, in fact, a song written about Elliot Spitzer and how he broke our heart. Let me just... <laughs> let me get it queued back up properly. Yeah, all right, here we go. You know what else I think is interesting? That even though the page has been viewed 700,000 times, there are very few comments attached to the pictures. But let's scroll down and actually let's go out what comments there are because I oh, think yeah, it's yeah. funny. Uh, March 12th, 2008, 706, one of... Yeah. One of... It just starts playing. Yeah, it, it starts playing. <laughs> Ashley's... Friends wrote, uh, Ashley, see you on Saturday at BB King's NYC. So that's totally a security. But now, risk. like, yeah, like all the paparazzi is going to be there. Like, I don't think these people on MySpace realize how much her life has changed in the past few days. Um, except uh, we got your back all the way, Ash. And that, that guy that has her back also has, like, he's like shirtless. He's wearing some sort of like baseball cap and he's got like a tattoo over his heart. So that guy like is a guy that you want to have your back. 
I guess, yeah. I mean, I think that guy could really mess up the attorney uh, general. <laughs> <laughs> really but, stop but those special prosecutors. The, the, United, the United States attorney for the, you know. What's fascinating about this <laughs> is like, like you know, if you if you heard this story about like this four thousand dollar an hour call girl, you feel like she must be some sort of like a, a glamorous, sophisticated woman. This is a MySpace page of like any twenty one year old. You know, with like, you know... And kind of a uh, fucked up 21-year-old, yeah, actually. Yeah, you know, maybe you know. a little bit of like an egotistical 21-year-old about how she's making it on her own. You know what? Every, every 21-year-old, though, is an egotistical Right, but like, you know, about her about her band, even well, though I mean, she only has that one track. By way of insecurity. I'm sorry, say that again? Oh, yeah, right, right. They're, they're, the egotism is defensive against, yeah, uh, feeling like you don't know anything, which you don't. And I mean, certainly, you, you look at the pictures of her and like, I mean, she's... She's pretty, but, you know, at least in the picture she's posted on her MySpace page, she doesn't seem stunning in that, like, you know, you would pay $30,000 to spend a single night with her kind of way. I mean, I, I honestly, Matt, I, I can't imagine anybody who would be worth $30,000 for one night. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, this, this actually poses a, a question that I used to ask my friends a lot, which is, let's say that you had... Ten thousand dollars to spend on prostitutes. You had to spend. You, you can't donate <laughs> it just... to like you know UNICEF or anything. <laughs> this is this is one of those questions that like that only happens in college, right? Like they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, so the question uh, is, you have ten thousand dollars to spend it on prostitutes. Would you spend it on one ten thousand dollar prostitute? Ten thousand dollar prostitute. You're skipping ahead, damn it. <laughs> uh, and, and you, but you get the point. Is that like you know assuming. That you could go all the way down to one dollar prostitutes, which presumably you would import from Malaysia. Um, and, you know, so, so my question, and you could actually fill a stadium with them and sort of like stand in the middle of the stadium and then have them like attack you and try to escape. Um, so my question is like, uh, what's the ideal ratio? And I feel like most people I've asked this to agree that like perhaps three, because like you're still paying a lot for those. But you see. I mean, and I guess what this belays is that, like, back in the day, a $10,000 prostitute when I posed this in college seemed like a, a comically high amount to pay for a prostitute that no real prostitute could, could possibly be worth that much. But now, thanks to the really Spitzer thing, we find out that, like, $10,000 actually isn't going to even buy you a night with, like, a, you know, a prostitute from a nice agency. Which is a little bit disappointing. Like, not that I want prostitutes at all, but the fact that, like... Right. If I did want a nice prostitute, it would cost like, um, you know, thirty thousand dollars for a night. Uh, depresses me a little bit. Not that I don't want prostitutes. Uh, not that I want prostitutes at all. But I, I, I don't not want prostitutes. <laughs> all right, I just I want to come out pretty strongly as anti-prostitute. As anti, uh, you mean like you don't feel like anyone should be allowed to be prostitutes, or you personally don't want any prostitute. Well, I feel like there should be some sort of law against prostitution because uh, it's really detrimental to the public good. If if only someone would pass some sort of law that would make it illegal to to have to pay prostitutes. You know, wait, wait a um, second. I'm actually going to play. Someone, I'm actually going to play devil's advocate for just a second. What's your What's your argument okay. in a nutshell, Pete, for like why prostitution should be illegal? You don't feel like it's sort of like condescending to women for us to like legislate how they can use their bodies. Isn't isn't in some actually, respects like women are very anti men deciding what they're allowed to do with their vaginas? Well, I, I'll tell you, I've actually thought a lot about this in the last couple of days, mm -hmm. and I'll boil it down for you in a in a really 
really small nutshell, a tiny nutshell, like a little little peanut, which is basically that um, you should you can make contracts, you know, for providing services and goods and getting paid for things, but the law because there are certain things that you're not allowed to sign away, right? One of them is that you can't have pay somebody to murder you. You can't say, okay, I'm going to sign away my right to life in this contract. Uh, another one in our society is that you can't sign away your right to determine consensually who and when and how you have sex. Like, you can't sign your right to not be raped away in a contract. Um, and if you become a prostitute who is working for a pimp, and it's the employer-employee relationship that's particularly concerning, you're effectively signing away that right because at some point you're not going to want to do it, and the pimp is going to have to say, it's your job, you have to do it. Um, and that's that's the right that has special privilege. And there's really it's very hard to get into the heart of it and to figure out exactly why it has special privilege, because then you have to get into whole all these arguments. And some of them are feministic. Some of them are based on natural law. Um, but I really think that um, it, it, it's really it's not a right that people should have the freedom to sign away um, is basically what it comes to do for me. Uh, and that's my argument against prostitution. All right. I'll, I'll let that, that effectively comes from the same moral realm. I mean, I feel like, you know, as, as a certain... But it's a tough... As like, as like, you know, a liberal, you know, with libertarian tendencies, you know, I kind of feel that, like, maybe, you know, there's nothing... And, 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 and not only that, but a fan of the, the TV show Cat House, I kind of feel that, like, legalized prostitution is not only, you know, remember, maybe yeah. uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is a way of respecting women in a certain way, but makes for good TV, so... That's a... <laughs> well, you know, I mean, when you talk when you the really high class ones, it makes the evils of it seem all the less. But the ones we really need to be worried about are the ones who can't afford to leave. You know, and look at this girl. I mean, this girl doesn't look like she exactly came to this business, you know, from a, a great place in her life, a place where she wasn't, you know, I mean, she was abused. She was kicked around. She was a runaway. You know, I mean, uh, how much informed consent can we be certain that this woman gave for no, her true. first forays into prostitution? And you, and you also have to wonder, you know, the interesting thing is, like, you, you hear about her rates, you know, thousands of dollars an hour, and you feel like, my God, think about the money she's making. But then you wonder, how often does she work? How often does she do these kind of things? You know, maybe she how much you know, registered yeah. with this agency. And she's like, yeah, like, for $4,000 an hour, I'll do that. But, like, for all we know, like, she's only done this, like, a few times, you know? You know, it's, it's not like this is, like, her nightly job and she's, like, booked, you know, solid. Well, who Probably. knows, but right. how, how much of it does she actually see? That's a good call. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd say, I don't know, half. So, well, Pete, like, I read something actually once in, like, a sex-positive feminism blog or something <laughs> like this about... Um, I uh, find that hard to believe. And all, and all, <laughs> yeah. This, that, whole, this whole statement is suspect at this point. That about a uh, it was an all woman cooperatively run brothel in that right. sounds so dirty in Canada. <laughs> uh, uh, you know. Any anyway, so it's so the the sort of the 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 evil of it, Pete. You're saying in here's in the employer employee relationship. Right. Uh, you know, and that just just hieristically, uh, you know, uh, if if a provider could, you know, work, uh, you know, or not work, ba- you know, based on her preference. Uh, that I mean, that go that speaks to your that speaks to your objection, right? 
Right, right, right. And it does. And I mean, a lot of that's just structurally about how employment law works and how employers and employees work in this, in this country. And in these kinds Take of all the sexiness I mean, if you were in some sort of... Oh, yeah. Think of all the sex people would be having. Is that what you said? No, I'm. <laughs> Utopia. No, I'm just. <laughs> although you probably it would be too. We're not on the greatest Skype connection, and uh, you know, you know, let's push this along. Just because you know, if if our Skype <laughs> connection is not the greatest, let's not make our listeners endure it for very long. <laughs> um, all right. So this is, you know, differences and similarities from the Clinton sex scandal. Obviously, like in itself, what. President Clinton did was not against the law. It's not against the law to step out on your wife, but um, it is against mm-hmm. the law to commit perjury, and that's what they got him on, you know. And so, you know, so there, you know, there you go, and that's a that's a whole other thing. But you know, it is uh, Elliot Spitzer did break a law. We don't know a great deal about what went on though between, uh, you know, Kristen. AKA Ashley, uh, though we do knew, know what went on between Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And I'm quoting here from the uh, Star Report uh, from, oh, so, uh, you know what? I don't know the, the name of the section. Oh, right. Uh, section Roman numeral three, letter F, uh, March 31st, 1996, sexual encounter. Uh, in the hallway by the study, the president and Mrs. Lewinsky kissed. On this occasion, according to Mrs. Lewinsky, uh, he f- quote, he focused on me pretty exclusively, end quote, kissing her bare breasts and fondling her genitals. At one point, the president inserted a cigar into Miss Lewinsky's vagina, then put the cigar in his mouth and said, it tastes good. I should do a Bill Clinton. It, it tastes good. That's pretty good, actually. That's not terrible. Uh, After they were finished, Ms. Lewinsky left the Oval Office and walked through the Rose Garden. I wonder, like, I wonder if that's, like, Ken Starr's attempt at, like, a post-coital scene, you know, and then walked through the Rose Garden, you know, and she wondered as she walked, you know, did the cigar really taste good? Anyway, sorry, that was gratuitous, perhaps, but, you know, Matt wanted to get it in there, so... Um, no, I mean, I wanted to get in there just to just to remind people, and I think they forget exactly like how graphic the detail was that came out, you know, and, and, and this detail is not coming out through like the muckraking, you know, New York Daily News. This is like the official special counsel report for some reason. And I don't I don't claim to like understand exactly whether this was legally necessary, but it seems like the detail about inserting a cigar into the vagina Cannot for have uh, any place in the. Uh, I don't know. Help me out, Pete. Are you saying that it, it's it's not really relevant and it's entirely like for for color? I, I guess, I guess like, what I'm saying not, is like as like a fan of Bill Clinton, you know, and I, as many fans of Bill Clinton do, when I even like try to think about this in a rational way, I'm sort of like overwhelmed by the sort of like outrage of it all, and like I I can't even really uh, put it all in perspective. So what I'm saying is that like. Is the did the thing we we read? Could there be like any legitimate legal reason for that to like be in a congressional report? Um, I guess it shows. I mean, you really want it shows penetration, <laughs> which might be necessary for like determining whether or not they had sexual relations. Um, I guess I don't know. 
maybe the tobacco lobby pushed for it to be there. You know, maybe, maybe they gave like a hundred million dollars to the guy in charge of the Star Report, and like they they got a special product placement in the story. It would be it would be better um, but, if you yeah. mentioned the brand of tobacco. It would. That's true. It would be clearer. Maybe it was an illegal Cuban cigar. But no, I think the point is that, honestly, I think the point is that it shows penetration, which is kind of grody. But, um, I mean, it's that they didn't just kiss. They did other stuff, too. You know, and it was nasty. I guess. Um, but... And it crossed the line. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I yeah. guess, you know, my, my problem with this, which is like, you know, what I think a lot of Democrats have bad feelings about this, is that it seems that, that what Mr. Starr was supposed to be investigating has nothing to do with this. And that although like, yes, they eventually caught him on perjury because they, you know what? It, it's funny. Like how little I can remember about the detail of it. What exactly was he impeached for? Like, does anyone remember? What was he? Yes. Well, what, he was, what was impeached Mr. for actually impeached perjury. For? Right. But like what, how did he perjure himself? That, that was like um, the ultimate, like you're nailed. What was the, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious what the perjury actually was. It's it's funny that like you think back to the scandal, everyone remembers the sex, but like nobody really remembers what it was that Congress impeached him for because it wasn't having sex. What what was it? Lying about having sex with her? I don't even know if it was the lying about having sex with her because he did lie about having sex with her on TV, but that's not an impeachable offense. Maybe was it was it? Did he also say in a committee that he didn't have sex to her? Um, we're we're actually currently Wikipediaing this right now. I, I think it's 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 it goes to show um, that the difference between the two sex scandals, uh, which is that like when people look back on Spitzer, they're going to be like, yeah, he went down for like you know having sex with the prostitute and it was illegal, and he was Attorney General yeah. of New York, and it was clearly inappropriate, and that's why he went down. Whereas Bill Clinton, people look back on the scandal, they remember the sex and they remember the graphic details of the sex, but that wasn't there wasn't anything legal about it uh so do you matt do you do you have this up now yeah it's uh as a result in 1998 as a result of allegations that he had lied during grand jury testimony regarding his testimony during the paula jones civil disposition wow wait so that he testified in the in the disposition in the deposition civil disposition jesus uh he testified in the deposition and then he gave grand jury testimony, I guess, to the Office of the Independent Counsel uh, about, well, to the grand jury, right, at the behest of the Office of the Independent Counsel about the Paula Jones deposition. Um, right. So I mean, basically what we can conclude is that it was complicated and convoluted. And you probably didn't need to know the thing about the cigar and the vagina to to ascertain one way or another whether you know he was guilty or not. Um, the perjury charge uh, arose from Clinton's testimony about his relationship to Monica Lewinsky during a sexual harassment lawsuit, uh, later dismissed, uh, appealed, and then settled, uh, brought by former Arkansas State employee Paula Jones. And then the obstruction charge was based on his actions during subsequent investigation of that testimony, which is almost right. like you'd sort of expect that. I don't, I don't know. Like, yes, no, it's not good to do it under oath. It is, in fact, perjury and is illegal. But uh, 
you expect men to lie about stepping out on their wives, right? Like that, you know, uh, otherwise you wouldn't be stepping out on your wife. Otherwise you'd be having threesomes or something. You know, it's it's easy to forget, like looking back at it, what a like a surreal and like cataclysmic thing it was. The Senate had a 21 day trial about like, and at the core of it was whether he had lied about having sex with an intern. That's what the trial was about. Yeah. And the fact that like, it's it's it seems like almost inconceivable that like people could have gotten you know it, it it would have been a big enough deal to i i don't know am i but people were no people were exercised in in the culture about it and i remember like people i knew who like wrote impassioned letters to you know the president and emailed them via whitehouse.gov you know not whitehouse.com. Yeah. <laughs> That's a porn site. But whitehouse.gov, right? Like sent in, you know, in the comment form, tell us how we're doing, you know? Like <laughs> who wrote like I I know someone, I'm thinking of someone in particular who you guys don't know, but who I knew growing up in LA, who like wrote this impassioned long letter, the subject line of which was don't resign. You know, so the stakes were high. Um Yeah. Uh, for people, the presidency of the United States with states, yeah. And I guess were people actually Definitely. thinking he was going to resign because he had lied about? It seems so so different than like Whitewater. I mean, that's that's something you know he actually did. The president of the United States uh, approved uh, legal activities to undermine the democratic process. That's legitimate. Like you should definitely resign. You know, like you are not worthy of being president. This is like all he did was like lie about some sort of sexual favors with his intern. And I mean, I realize I'm sounding exactly like a Democrat, whereas if you're a Republican, it's like there's a dignity to the office. He didn't just lie, you know, to his wife. He lied to the American people. You know, he is not worthy of like, you know. And so I, I don't know, depending on how you look at the sex scandal. There isn't there isn't a dignity to the between Clinton and Bush's low approval ratings now, like there's no more dignity to the office. The American people are hungry for change. But you see, that that's exactly <laughs> like the Republican talking point. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. That it's like there used to be like being president used to be like a position of respect, which I mean, it still is. But like Bill Clinton, like irrevocably changed that and made it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like. So wait, Matt, are what you're saying is that before Bill Clinton, we never had a president who got in a ridiculous sex scandal and embarrassed himself in front of the whole country? I don't know what I'm saying. I I, I really do feel that like like I'm like a 19 year old kid again, like talking about this. Does that, but it was almost like something I blocked out because it was so like upsetting and traumatic for me as like a young Democrat. Matt, did you not see what Pete was? Pete was trying to serve you up a segue there. <laughs> Like he was trying to like he was just trying to send a, a oh, belt really? high yeah he was trying to send a belt high fastball right down the middle so I'm you not, could I'm so upset right now do you mind if I like take just a few seconds it takes yeah. a deep breath before I make the segue don't breathe can, on can me can I talk about sex. my favorite sex sex uh, scandal for a second yeah just sort of as a blood cleanser yeah yeah uh, this is cleanse. okay cool all right so I'm gonna read this from Wikipedia um 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 where is it here we go on June 27th. 1995, 
Grant was arrested by L.A. vice officers in a residential area not far from Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> misdemeanor loot conduct in a public place with Hollywood prostitute Divine Brown. He pleaded no contest to the charges. He was fined $1,180, Great Britain pounds, placed on two years probation, and was ordered to complete an AIDS education program. The arrest occurred about two weeks before the release of Grant's first major studio film, Nine Months, which he was scheduled to promote on several American television shows. The Tonight Show with Jay Leno had him booked for the same week and as recalled in former employee Don Sweeney's memoirs, despite his arrest, Hugh Grant kept his appointment to appear on Jay's show. Jay, sometimes <laughs> you do good things, and sometimes you do bad things. <laughs> I think the, the line they have it here is, I think you know in life what's a good thing to do, and what's a bad thing. And I did a bad thing. And there you have it. Well, and the other thing is, Hugh Grant impressions, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, and then they have the... Uh, in the, in the 2006 series Love Monkey, the character called Shooter explained the phenomenon of male discontent as Grant's Law. Referring to Hugh Grant, he said that the star had the hottest, sexiest, and most beautiful woman waiting for it at home. That's Elizabeth Hurley. And what does Hugh do? He picks up a cut-rate whore on Hollywood Boulevard. This, he believes, show that we as men can never be satisfied. Now, I'm not quite as pessimistic, but I do think the Hugh Grant case is hilarious. Yeah. Especially that picture of him looking all pissed off and, like, depressed with his, like, head in his hand and his hair all messed up. Yeah. Um, and also a picture of the ugly prostitute, which is funny. So, um, uh, well, thank you for that, for that palate <laughs> cleanser. And let me just – let's quickly do a little review of the – uh, Elliot Spitzer themed T-shirts on Cafe Press. Um, They're pretty good. I might have to get like several. Uh, New York State Client Number Nine XXL Athletic Department. <laughs> uh, a lot of Client Number Nine. Client Number Nine with a lipstick kiss. Oh no! Here's here's a good one right here. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, I'm not only the governor. I'm also a client. <laughs> uh, Spitzer. I don't even know her. That's like, um, oh, Elliot Mess with an M. Wow, that's like a New York. Sorry? That's like a New York Post headline. Yeah, right. Um, Governor Elliot Spitzer, public servant. No, no, no. Read it again. Oh, Oh, right. I I fell for it. Uh, Governor Elliot Spitzer, cubic servant. Uh, That's funny. Um, There's the... the, Here's the Daily Show made this joke a couple of days ago, but uh, I'd swallow for Spitzer. Spitzer done in a New York minute. Uh, don't blame me. I voted for client number eight. That's pretty good. <laughs> Who yeah. did go- Spitzer run against for governor in, in 2006? I forget. Oh, Pataki, right? Oh, really? Was term limits or something? Oh, was he term limited out? Well, he was the governor before Spitzer. I, he was. I don't know if he was his opponent. But but uh, let's just return to where we were before. Pete, you want to serve up your segue one yeah, more time? Yeah, this, time, this time I'm actually going to receive it. This clearly really oh, wait, wait. upsets so, me. I'm sorry. So, Matt, in all of your righteous indignation about the loss of dignity in the White House, are you telling me that there's never before been a United States president involved in a sex scandal that embarrassed himself before the entire nation? No, there's, there's actually uh, what I think – you two will both agree is perhaps the biggest sex scandal in American history. American um, history. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think after I tell you this, like you'll you'll um, admit that like it, it, the Clinton thing doesn't hold the candle to this. Uh, wow. It was uh, July twenty first, eighteen eighty four, exactly ten days after the Democratic convention and nominated Grover Cleveland um, from New Jersey. Oops. Yep. Sorry. 
the Buffalo Evening Telegraph uh, printed a banner headline that said, A Terrible Tale, under which they announced to the world, uh, quote-unquote, the pitiful story of Maria Halpin and Governor Cleveland's son. Uh, the story is that uh, Democrat candidate Grover Cleveland had had an affair resulting in the birth of a son. Keep in mind here that it was never found out how the Buffalo Evening Telegraph got the scoop, but considering it was 10 days after the convention, it's probably not a coincidence that sort of like it was simmering until then. Um, so basically the deal is that uh, Grover Cleveland conferred with his staff and decided, and this is an interesting note, to just be totally upfront about it, and that he admitted that in fact it was true, but keep in mind though that he was a bachelor. He was a 48-year-old uh, bachelor. And so that like, Theoretically, you know, although premarital sex was frowned upon, it, it I think he would have been sunk had he been married. Um, right. But he actually did admit it. And although the Republicans remorselessly uh, teased him with the catchy uh, slogan, uh, they, they, had a, they, they would, uh, in a baby voice, say, Ma, Ma, where's my pa gone to the White House? Ha, ha, ha. Is, <laughs> that's, that's, that really is stinging. I didn't do that it cost- in the baby voice, though. Um, <laughs> But the the um, the, the story is, is more interesting than that because Maria Halpin, uh, who was a widow in her mid thirties, was actually having sex with a whole bunch of people at that point. Aren't they and, all? Uh, including Grover Cleveland's <laughs> law partner at the time, a guy named Oscar Folsom, uh, and in fact had no way of knowing who the father actually was. Uh, it's thought that the reason that she claimed that Grover Cleveland was the father is because Grover Cleveland was a bachelor and she wanted to get married. Um, and the reason that Grover Cleveland didn't argue the point is because the other men that she was sleeping with were married, and Grover Cleveland, being a gentleman, did not want to impearl their marriages. Um, oh, because he just did it, he did it for, for gentlemanly purposes. I don't well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, this yeah. is what some people say. Uh, interestingly enough, when the child was born in September uh, 1874, so, oh, so keep in mind that this is, we're talking about a 10-year-old child at this point. This is something that, like, happened a decade ago that came out 10 days after the Democratic convention, okay? When the child was born, she named him Oscar Folsom Cleveland, taking the first name, first and middle names of Grover Cleveland's law partner and the last name of Cleveland. Um, <laughs> now, at the time, now, this is, this is going back into the past. Um, after the birth, Maria began drinking heavily, and Grover Cleveland had a judge commit her to an insane asylum and the child to an orphanage. But once again, being a gentleman, he decided to pay the orphanage expenses $5 a week out of his own pocket. Well, that's um, just right. That's uh, the son grew up to become a medical doctor. So, <laughs> hold on. Here's, here's the thing. That's so, only, not, a, not a high-priced call girl. No, not a high-priced call girl. So, that, that's part one of the scandal. Part one of the scandal is, you know, he, he, he fathers a child, you know, out of wedlock. Um, there are multiple men involved. This comes out when the child's 10, right before uh, the election. He still manages to win. Keep in mind, of course, the women don't have the right to vote. And a lot of men probably just felt sorry for him. That's not all that comes out. Hey, yo! But with Grover Cleveland, you've always got two stories to tell, right? It always he always comes back for a second round. That's <laughs> true. That the Grover Cleveland is is a you know one of the great second acts in American politics. So June second, eighteen eighty six, the forty nine year old President Grover Cleveland uh, becomes the first president to get married while in the White House. His bride is a twenty one year old woman. First of all, that's enough of a scandal by itself. Yes. But her name is Frances Folsom. 
And the last name should in fact sound familiar because she is the daughter of the law partner with which she was in the love triangle back in 1874. <laughs> that, and in wow. fact, just to put it in perspective, her, wait, no. Her father. No, uh, yeah, wait. Her father, I'm trying to, see, I was going to be like, she is like the half-sister of the kid, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, we I just, don't know. We don't know who the kid's right. uh, father is. Right, but like, you know, anyway. Know so, which pistachio gentleman is the baby daddy. So at that, at that point, Oscar, Oscar Folsom was uh, deceased. Uh, Francis Folsom knew of the relationship with Maria Halpin, but forgave her husband for it. And they, um, they went on to have five children. So really, like, the reason why this is an amazing Whoa. sex scandal is it, it's, it's got two separate scandals, each of which would be huge. Like, number one, you know, president fathers a uh, child out of, like, a sort of, like, possible menage a trois type situation. Uh, comes out right before the election. He still gets elected. Scandal number two, 49-year-old president marries 21-year-old girl. Yeah, but I don't That's think... Enough. But the fact that they're related, the fact that this Oscar Folsom character is at the middle of both scandals... Makes it sort of like it's like it's like like when the robots could bind to form Voltron. These two scandals <laughs> are forming some ultimate robotic scandal that that I think is probably a high watermark in the history of American politics. I don't think it's necessarily um, I, all that bad that the the wife the the woman that he married was twenty one. I think he wanted a young wife in those days so that she'd have like lots of childbearing years ahead of her and also like you know because younger women have fewer complications in pregnancy and things like this I th- you know i think it's not unusual for a woman to marry at 21 and it's you not know, unusual to be in love at any time it's not <laughs> unusual to have fun at any time but if you see me hanging about at any time it's not unusual to see me cry i mean i think, I think we can all agree that like let's say if uh, George Bush were to marry a woman 28 years younger than him in the White House, it would be a big deal nowadays. Well, I, I mean, Frank Thompson. Know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess, I guess really the story, one of the things it points out is, is how much standards have changed over the years. And that, like, well, what nowadays Thompson. would, like, cause the internet to melt down. Back in the day, um, all it did was, you know, it got a few column inches in the New York Times about the tasteful dress that uh, Mrs. Cleveland wore that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's pretty but I mean the fact that Grover Cleveland survived um you know both both those sort of like uh potentially dicey moments and in fact like you know thrived in in his own uh, corpulent way I think just goes to show that like the world has become less forgiving of sex scandals perhaps to our detriment a smaller place to be sure yeah I feel kind of depressed now actually wow. I think that's a note to end the podcast. Wait, I did actually want it to end on one particular statistic I read today that I think puts an interesting uh, footnote on the whole thing. Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal's uh, blog on, uh, on uh, wealth. Um, it says, I'm going to quote here, according to a survey by Russ Allen Prince, the president of a Connecticut-based wealth research firm, Prince & Associates, presumably he is the prince uh, in Prince & Associates, <laughs> um, a sizable percentage but of the is, super uh, wealthy. But is he funky? He's not as funky as the other prince. Prince, I'm disappointed that if I gave all my money to a wealth research firm called Prince and Associates, I'd expect <laughs> it to be that prince. Yeah, right. But, but uh, the important thing, Russ Allen Prince says that a sizable percentage of the super wealthy use sexual escorts. He surveyed 661 people who owned private jets. 
Um, the survey found that 34% of men and 20% of women had paid for sex. So this mm. is, I mean, first of all, you got to wonder how many women own private jets. I'm not trying to be misogynistic. Right. I'm just saying, like, I think of private jet owners. I think of, like, dudes. Um, but in, here's Why is that if you're not being misogynistic? <laughs> no, you're right. Actually, all right. I, I am misogynistic. For the one person well, listening to this podcast. You that's just, not misogynistic. It's sexist. It's not misogynistic. You're not saying you hate women. You're just saying you don't think that they own airplanes. I'm saying that they own airplanes in far smaller numbers than men. Yes. Is it because they can't drive airplanes? Is that what you're trying to say? No. God damn it. I'm trying to get out an interesting statistic, but there's no there's no profit in it, really. No, keep going. Keep going. I just going. thought it was interesting that, that he went on and he asked the, the, the super rich people who frequented the horrors why they did it. And that, yeah. like, while the conventional wisdom is like, well, you know, they're they're discreet about it. You know, you sort of like pay and you, you get out and like there's no no complications. Uh, the most popular, 71% of the rich people who had frequented the escorts say that it was to have a unique experience. Uh, 57% said that it was for a higher quality experience. So that the reason they're going for like to, to the prostitutes is basically because they're rich and bored and they want to yeah. do something that's like a good story to tell around like the yacht right. club. They should Around really the just get a club. potato can and bring it out to the beach. It's yeah, also yes. a experience. But don't tell the U.S. attorney. Uh, all right. Well, we are in suboptimal recording com- conditions, so maybe we will call that a podcast. Uh, thank you, Matt Belinky, for all your work on the research. I'm, and really, I'm going to go lie down now. I'm really worked off. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know what would help? A high-priced call girl. Probably for a unique experience, yeah. a higher quality experience, a higher quality, unique experience. And Pete Fenzel from Boston. Thank you as ever, thank you. sir. Thank you very much. And remember, uh, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, uh, we find out they're having sex ruins both their careers. Sex scandal or no sex scandal. <laughs> I leave that with you. 